Good morning. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know, my name is Zach. I'm the missions pastor here. And as they announced in the loop, it's Practical Love Month. And so that's a, a time for us to kind of highlight and celebrate the ways that God's been able to kind of you know, use the generosity that you guys have all had to have an impact both in our community and around the world. Um, and if you're familiar with uh, Practical Love, in the, the past, we usually have a video up here right now. But instead, we actually have a person here live. So I'm going to have Misha come up. Um, and if you guys don't know who Misha is, he's been a, a longtime friend of our, our church family, and we've been partnering with Serbia for, did you say 40 years last service or something like that? So a long time. Um, and so Misha is here to share a little bit about how uh, Practical Love has been able to have an impact in their community. And then just a quick little caveat. Uh, if you were here a couple months ago, he was here and he shared you know, just his family's testimony. So I think that was the first Sunday of December. So if you go back and watch the live sermon or the sermons from like, I think the 5th of December, you can hear his family's testimony too, which was really powerful. But Misha, I just wanted to give you a chance to share some of the ways that God's using practical love to touch your guys' community. Thank you. It's, it's really my pleasure. And uh, so as Zach mentioned, I was here a few months ago just and... Uh, just when you thought that you got rid of me, so here I am again. Uh, but it's really powerful to be here because, you know, sometimes when people hear that I go to some parts of the United States in Western Europe kind of sharing what God is doing, they, they some of the people, not all, but some of the people go, oh, like you're just going around doing fundraisings and stuff like that for the needs in, in the country. And I go, yeah, it's, it's partly truth. But I think that one part of what God is using me for is just to, remind his church that God's still alive and God is doing well and God is doing mighty works all across the globe. And, and so this year as a church we had, God gave us a vision that he wanted us to plant 10 churches in three years. We, we go, okay, we're going to do three churches one year, three churches the second year and four churches uh, the final third year. And, but we were thinking the elephant in the room was man if we get one church, like in one year, that we're going to be very happy. But guess what? We're working with other churches, and throughout church, we came to the end of 2022, and God planted seven churches in our country. So we give, we give God the glory. But, you know, what's amazing is that um, just we would go out into the Roma communities sometimes very often, uh, completely cut off from society in the villages. And we would just go there and we would stop playing music. And when Roma people hear music, they're like, okay, music. So that they're going to come. They're, they're going to want to see what's happening. So we went to this place called Chinovats and uh, a small village, only a few hundred people. We went there and we started playing music and the whole village came out. It was more than 200 people. All village came out to see what's happening. And my dad, who is a pastor of the church, he started sharing with the people of what God has done in his life, uh, which was part of the testimony he gave here of how God healed my brother from cancer. And, and, but he has this strange philosophy, which is that if, if I'm going to share about honey, I'm going to let the people taste the honey that I'm sharing about. So he would just stand there. And this is the part where I, I personally get very nervous. Very nervous. So we are in the middle of the street. There are a few hundred people watching us. And he would go, okay, if you are ill and need a hand of God to heal you, come in front and I'll pray for you in front of everybody. And you'll see the hand of God. And this is the part where I get really nervous. And I'm, I'm kind of on the side praying, oh God, God, let it just be a person with a headache. Just a little bit of a headache. He comes around and we... But no. So as, as I'm, I'm watching in terror, there is this guy, probably in his 60s, and he's been carrying, carried by two ladies. And so his, his back are completely like this. And both of his kidneys failed completely. The guy just weeks ago, uh, just for weeks, to, it'll take him only a few weeks to die. So they're bringing this guy and like we're all watching what's going to happen. And like, and, and the, the people are watching, the, the team from the church are watching. We're all very nervous, like, okay, God, this is a great time for you to show up because if you don't, you know, it's going to be messy. So my dad started praying for him and... There was a silence for like a few seconds and all of a sudden you can hear bones cracking like 
And all of a sudden, the guy goes, <gasps> and he goes, no pain. And he looks at his wife, and in, in the Roma language, he goes, I'm healed. I'm healed. Something, something's happening. No pain completely. God healed him completely right like in front of everybody else. And let's give God the glory for this, man, because this is amazing. Like God is this miracle and everybody's like, wow. And I think that the Christian part of the team, we were even more amazed than the unchristian part because God did this amazing thing. But here, here is the, the second part of the story that I love even more. When he came, he was like this. But now he's like this. So he looks my dad in the eye and goes, you look familiar. Like, and he goes, were you back in the army back 19 whatever years a long time ago, that, that play, da, 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 da. And my dad looks at him and like, and in the middle of the street, they just hug and they start crying. And like everybody's like, what's going on? It turns out that 40 plus years ago, they were together in the army. And then the war came and they were like disappeared from each other and nobody knew what's happening. And they both thought that, that because they were best friends, they both thought that one of them has died and they'll be kind of searching for each other. We could not find each other for 40 plus years. And how amazing it is that 40 plus years later, one of them is going to become a pastor and is going to go to go a remote village and one a person from that village is going to come out and he's deadly sick and ill and one of them is going to pray for the other God's going to heal him and then he looks my dad in the, in the eyes and goes man because I love you because you're my friend and because your God did this to me I'm going to give my house and from now on we use his house as a church plan to meet every week amen glory to God but this is this is very important because I see this God doing all over the globe. And I believe that God wants to do the same for this country. Amen, church? So right now we're in a position of um, we have 600 Roma communities. And we want to see church and hope zone in each one of these communities. But right now our biggest need is that we need to build a facility in order to bring people in, disciple them train them, and then send them back so they will go into all of these 600 Roma communities and plant churches. And Rolling Hills family, you're a big part of this, and I want to thank you for this. Amen. And, and just on, like, I mean, you, you shared about, like, the church planting stuff, but you guys are also doing a preschool where they're reaching kids in the community, and a lot of these kids probably didn't have access to education beforehand either. So God's doing a lot of neat things using the work that they're doing to reach the community, and we're just, we're grateful that God has led us to be part of that. Uh, I'm going to take a second and pray for Misha and our friends over there, and then I'll, I'll kind of wrap up just giving you guys some explanation for how to participate with Practical Love. Um, if you guys want to extend your hands forward, just kind of joining us in prayer, that'd be fantastic. Lord, we just thank you. And we thank you for Misha and all of our friends over in Serbia. We thank you for the work that you're doing. God, it just, you remind us that you are faithful. Um, and we just are grateful for that. And we pray that you'll continue the work that you've started there. We pray that you continue to give strength to our brothers and sisters over there. Um, Lord, I just think of Misha's family as a uh, He's doing a lot of traveling to, to support the work that's going over there and doing trainings um, outside of um, just the, their country. He's helping train other leaders over there. We just pray that you'll give grace to his family, um, especially with young little kids. I pray that you'll be with his wife and family. Um, Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there will be more kind of instructions on things you guys can be doing for practical love. For the time being, the big thing is be praying. Um, we've got a lot of things that we're doing, we've been doing. Continue to pray for our partners and our ministries and the various projects that we're part of. And actually, I should have had a piece of paper up here showing you guys. You guys can come up um, out there in the kind of atrium area after service. You can come and grab one of them. It's talking about the projects that we'll be doing this year or we are hoping to do this year. Um, and then if you're wanting to give towards that as well, uh, you can always go online, rollinghills.org slash give. You can write a check and just write practical love in the memo. Or you guys can uh, just give cash, but put it in an envelope and write practical love. But I just want to thank you guys so much for your generosity for making all these things happen. So cool to have Misha here. Um, yeah, I think it's between 30 and 40 years that we have uh, 
been partnering with the church in uh, Serbia, uh, the Stankovics, um, Mio and Elsie uh, have been our partners for that whole time. Uh, Mio passed away several years ago. Um, Elsie spends half her, a little more than half her year here and then um, goes back and spends several months there and so she may be here today. Um, but uh, Mio led Misha's dad to the Lord through healing Misha's brother of cancer. And, um, and that kind of launched the church in the Roma community. And, uh, and God has just been doing a really, well, a, a miraculous work. He's something only he can do. And um, I've had a chance to go and spend time with Misha and his family and his church there. And so it's just so cool to have you here. But um, what, one of the things that um, one of the ministries we've also partnered with over the years is kids around the world. And so when we started working with them, it was like, wow, you guys do such a great ministry. We need to introduce you to one of our partners in Serbia. And so um, with them, we did uh, a couple of things in Misha's community. And, um, and it was just like, oh, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful uh, ministry relationship where they both really complement one another. And so much so that Misha is now on staff with kids around the world. And so, um, you know, our food packing ministry that we do every year that we'll be doing again, beginning of March, uh, um, that's all, that's kids around the world. The playgrounds that we did just last year in uh, South America, that's kids around the world. And, uh, and so now Misha's a, a part of that as well. And so it's just uh, so cool how God just, you know, in his divine plan and province brings these things together for his glory. And as today, in this month, as we, you know, kind of grab on to practical love, we want to start off by just taking a few minutes this morning and just reconnecting our heart to the heart of God. Because if it isn't, then everything we do is powerless. You know, um, the motivations behind what we do have become, I'm, I'm, it becomes religion. And uh, man, I am really against religion. And, and what I mean about that is, um, you know, religion is saying, hey, here, here's how you can try to make God happy so he would accept you. And that is just a really, really huge burden that you and I were not meant to carry, nor can we carry. Um, but it's not, our relationship with God is not based upon what we do, but it's based upon the goodness of God. And the focus is on him, not us. And so that is birthed out of understanding the heart of God. And once we understand the heart of God, it starts transforming our heart. And then we, we do things for him, for his glory, out of love because we are overwhelmed with his heart of love. We get disconnected from that and we get messed up. And, uh, and likely, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're connected and then you drift and then you get connected and then you drift and you get connected. And, and really the, the sad thing for a lot of followers of Jesus is, is they, could, they could lose the wonder of the goodness of, of God and they lose their first love and their passion as a result of it. And churches, established churches um, are known known, you know, Christian churches to once they are established and have been around for a while, the focus goes away from their calling and the focus goes onto their comfort. And that is a, that's a human nature thing. That's what we drift to when we're not intentional and focused. And so we don't want to be that. And so we, we want to really be connected to God's heart. And so that's where we're going to spend the rest of today is focusing on the heart of God. And one thing about the heart of God is that it never changes. It never changes. It, it always has been the same heart, it is the same heart, and it will continue to be the same heart. And so we're gonna look at two stories, one's in the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament, just to show you God's heart in the Old Testament, people can get messed up with this. They think, oh, God was a judgmental God, he was a just God, and he was um, bringing about justice on earth. And then in the New Testament, God got nice. 
and he became a righteous and loving God. And the truth is he was a righteous and loving and gracious God in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And, and he hasn't changed. And so we're going to look at Jonah real quickly, and I'm going to talk you through most of it. But the book of Jonah is about um, a man named Jonah, who, by the way, is recognized as a man. It's not an allegory. It's not a parable. Um, this is a real man in history. Um, he lived during the time of Jeroboam II, who was the king of the northern um, kingdom of Israel. It's when Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Southern kingdom with Judah, northern kingdom was Israel. Uh, Jeroboam was a bad king. Jeroboam II was a bad king. Um, they did not follow God. And Jonah was a prophet during that time. And he was following God. And he believed in God. And he, he knew God. And he was a minister of God. And he was doing fine until God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah, well, I don't know if he said this. But in my mind, he said, um, <laughs> that's funny. I thought you said Nineveh. And God said, yeah, Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was a growing kingdom, a growing kingdom that was increasing in power. And they were a threat because they were known to be a violent, cruel people. And they weren't far from Israel. And so they were a clear and present danger to the welfare of Jonah's people. And Jonah knew that. And saying, don't send me to Nineveh, because Assyria, they're bad, bad people, and they're threatening us. And he was right, because eventually Assyria would come and conquer northern Israel, um, or Israel, and so the northern kingdom. So he had good reason to be concerned, but God said, no, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to share the hope that God, that I love them, that I'm pursuing them, they're created to be in a relationship with me, and if they turn from their living um, for themselves and turn to me, then I will forgive them. And Jonah was like, okay, I understand what I'm supposed to do. And uh, so he headed the opposite direction. He set sail in the exact opposite direction. He's going, God, you're messed up. I, you know, Somehow um, you're confused, you're having a bad day, but this is not the thing you want me to do. And so he went the opposite direction. Why did he go that opposite direction? Because he was afraid. What was he afraid of? Well, my mind instantly goes to, they'll see him, they'll know he's um, Israeli, they'll capture him, they'll torture him, they'll keep him in prison in, in terrible conditions forever, forever, or they'll just mutilate him in, until he's dead. And so that's a good reason. I mean, I, I understand that. But that is not the reason he didn't go. As legitimate a fear as that would have been, he had a greater fear. And so in, in chapter 4, verse 2 of Jonah, he explains it to God again. Now this is after he already went to Nineveh, after he shared the good news of God, and after many of them repented. And then he goes, God, I knew this would happen. This is why I didn't want to go. Chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my own country? I warned you, God, that this was going to happen. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, opposite direction, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God of the Old Testament, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disasters. He's saying, you, are, you take every opportunity to avoid having to punish people. You, you, your patience goes on and on. And so why am I angry? Because I knew this would happen. There are enemies. And so I went to them and said, yeah, you know, I don't know if you heard, God loves you. Um, there's one true God and he's pursuing you and you were made to have a relationship with him and he, you know, and he, he's, um, he's saying if you, if you ask for forgiveness and trust in him and his plan, then he will forgive you. And so anybody raise your hand. What? And all these hands. I mean, all these people repent. And so now Jonah says, see, I knew you would forgive him. I knew you'd forgive him. 
These are terrible people. Terrible people and you're forgiving them because you love people. And that really makes me mad. And uh, he, he, just, he just lost his perspective. He lost the heart of God. And so God's going, Jonah, um, you liked my mission to extend love and grace and forgiveness and to seek people who were lost when I reached you. And now, though, you're saying those people don't deserve it. I think you're not understanding grace. Because the very definition of grace means you don't deserve it. And so you are not seeing people the right way. So here's God's heart of love doesn't change, but ours can. And that's a warning. Jonah knew better. We can know better. And yet we can be disconnected that God is gracious and passionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. And even he relents from sending calamity because of his... um, you know, his, his patience, waiting for us to turn back to him. And Jonah missed it. He was blind to God's heart, and it's distorted how Jonah lived his life because he lived his life disconnected from the calling of God in order to maintain his comfort. And God points it out. He says, hey, uh, Jonah, look down into the valley here where, where Nineveh is. There's 120,000 people in that city who have been living life not knowing that there's a God who created them and loves them and is pursuing them. Those are 120,000 individuals who are created in the image of God who I value and I want to rescue and you've lost that heart. And instead, you're complaining that you have to go to them. You're complaining about your mode of transportation. Remember, he went from a sailboat to a fish. <laughs> you're complaining that once you, once you got here that they responded to the message of hope. And now you've been complaining about how hot it is and you found one place to, to stay where there's finally a shade tree and it died. And all you can think about is woe is you. And you've lost your first love, Jonah. You, you've lost your calling because you're just focused on your comfort. Now think about when God found you. And think about you know, the humility, the overwhelming sense of being loved by the God of the universe who fully knows you and yet perfectly loves you and has made a way for you to be forgiven and reconnected to him. And, and just think about in those moments just you know, how broken and humble and full of joy you were that God didn't give up on you. And yet somewhere down the line, we can lose that and say, God, I, like, I liked your mission in connection to me, but now I'm, now I'm more concerned about you just keep blessing me than I am concerned about the people around me. And that was Jonah's sin, and, and that can be our sin as well. Now, um, this is how that can look. Think of the people in your life. Think of the people in your life that you don't think um, are followers of Jesus. Do you see them the way God sees them? I mean, is your heart at all growing with a sense of passion and urgency for their soul? That the person that they're created to be they will never be able to experience outside of a relationship with our creator. And God is desperately seeking them. Do you see them the way God sees them? Or are we just comfortable 
and we just stay in our relationship and we just talk about the normal things we talk about. But uh, there's no sense of urgency in me that's saying, uh, I need to find out about their spiritual journey. I need to find out about where they're at. I need to listen, care about what's going on inside. And then when the opportunity is there to explain my journey and the hope I have in Jesus. I mean, do we have that that is burning a passionate hole in our heart that is impacting the way we see people? And that's what Jonah's being being challenged by God to repent of. It's, uh, man, you need to see people the way I see them. And then we look in, in Luke chapter 15, New Testament. This is Jesus. Is God the same? Yes, God. Is he righteous? Yes. Is he a judge? Yes. Does he demand justice? Yes. Is he loving and patient and compassionate and, and gracious? Yes. He's all of those things. And his grace and his love and his compassion drives him towards reaching the lost. In Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, which is interesting right there. I mean, who's drawing near to Jesus? Tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes are standing back and watching this. And they say, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. I mean, not, as it, not only is he allowing these people around him, he's actually drawing them in and he's befriending them. God doesn't like unrighteous people. And yet this guy is drawing them into himself. What's going on? And, and Jesus is going, you guys, as the religious leaders, have lost the heart of God. You don't understand the heart of God. You are disconnected from it. And so I'm going to give you a story that reconnects you to the heart of God. Now, just to remember in the time of Jesus, what was happening in the world? Well, Rome was ruling. Rome was ruling from England to Rome to Asia, India. That that was the hunk of land. That was the landmass that Rome ruled. Can you imagine in that day, keeping control and rule over that big of a place? I mean, how did they do it? Well, they did it by conquering and conscripting. They would, they, you know, the, the able-bodied fighting men in the, con in the land they just conquered, they would conscript and enfold into their army and they would train them and they would re-educate them into their ways. And so you can imagine the massive army that it would take to rule that sized land. Well, then who's going to feed that army? Who's going to clothe that army? Who's going to get weapons to that army? Who's going to provide chariots and horses and, and all of the resources that that massive of an army would require in order to see that massive um, of a piece of land? Well, who paid for it was the conquered people. How? They, Rome taxed them, taxed them heavily. And so here, we were just conquered, lost my fam lost family members, um, maybe lost my job. I mean, uh, we, we are oppressed by this army now, army who um, many of them are from, you know, probably, in Israel case, from Assyria, who Rome conquered on the way to us. And so now our enemies are, are ruling over us and they're keeping us under their thumb, and now I have to pay for them in order to stay here. And so who's gonna collect that money? Well, Rome, get your next door neighbor and says, okay, for this area, I, I want you to, to be a, uh, an employee of Rome. Um, you're denying your people, you're denying your faith, and um, you need to collect this much money, anything else that you collect over above it, you can keep. And so your neighbor now is the tax collector who has become a traitor to your people, a traitor to your family, a traitor to your town, and a traitor to your God. And so the Pharisees and the scribes are going, we hate these people, God will punish them. They are vile and standing against God. And now here's this Jesus 
who's befriending them. That makes no sense. And then the sinners. Sinners are hanging out with Jesus too. Well, who are the sinners? Well, I read that and I just think me. People like me are hanging out with, with Jesus. But that actually, um, that was true, but sinners had a specific targeted group of people. When you were labeled a sinner, it was talking about those who are ill or have some kind of uh, disability or ongoing illness that they can't get healed from. And since they're not being healed, obviously God doesn't care about them. They probably sinned. Maybe, you know, who was it? Was it them? Was it somebody in their family? But they're being punished by God. So we want to stay away from them. And then among those sinners are also the prostitutes who, if you're even around them, make you ceremonially unclean so you cannot go worship your God because um, you were just in the vicinity of a prostitute. And now this guy who's proclaiming that he is the son of God is hanging out and drawing and befriending tax gatherers and sinners. Obviously, this guy's not of God. And he's saying, I am of God. And if you understood the heart of God, you understood why I'm reaching these people. And he goes on in verses three and four. And he tells a parable. Parable is, is a story, made up story, that has a point. And he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And so here, here's his point about the love of God. God's love is personal because every person is of value. Now, if you're business-minded and you're thinking, okay, I have a hundred assets, I lose one of them, I'm gonna make sure I I, that's all, the only one I lose, and I'm going to watch the 99. Because one down, it happens. And God's saying, no, you don't understand the heart of God. Um, God doesn't look on the overall you know, cost-benefit analysis. He looks at, if there's one that's lost, I'm going after it. Why? Because I love him. In, in this world, as they talked about sheep, they knew that what resources a sheep were, the value of each sheep, and that a shepherd would go after the one that was lost. And so every sheep was important, even the one out of the hundred. Now, um, you can relate to this is if you are a parent or an older sibling who was in charge of the younger siblings or a grandparent, and you were in charge of these precious children, and you went someplace and one of them is missing. Ever happened to you? It's happened to me several times as a parent. Not proud of that, but more than once. Um, it happened to me two months ago as a grandparent. I'm taking my four-year-old grandson, my, my two-year-old granddaughter. Um, I'm in charge of him for the day. We're going to go to the park. It starts raining. Oh, no. And then I'm thinking, ah, langers. And so Langer's is a place that if you haven't discovered this, it's because you don't have small children. If you have small children, you know what I'm talking about. But it's a place in Sherwood, all kinds of games, all kinds, you know, bowling alleys and climbing walls and video games. And, and so I take my um, four-year-old grandson, two-year-old granddaughter, almost three, and take them to Langer's. And, uh, and we're there for a while, and then all of a sudden, I cannot find Mo my two and a half year old granddaughter. And I'm looking around and I, I do not see her. And I'm yelling in the midst of masses of people, Mo, Mo, and I'm, Pratt, where's Mo? And um, here's why I didn't think. I didn't think this, I didn't think, well, I still got one. <laughs> I mean, come on now, you know, it's like, you know, Grandpa's not that responsible. And so I, I, I had two, I brought back one. That's pretty good. You know, that, that, that was not entering my mind. 100% of my focus is where is Mo? And, and she is an independent little cuss. And so she, she just wanders off by herself without any fear, you know. And so I'm looking, it's probably 15 seconds and I've covered the whole building. And the anxiety is just off the charts. And then I look behind a curtain of one of the machines, one of the, 
and there she is at the controls. I don't know, it's probably like zombie apocalypse or something. <laughs> and, uh, and she's thinking that she's playing and she's fully engaged because she's just, she's just you know, killing it. And she doesn't realize that, no, it costs money. And I'm just thinking, I found Mo and she doesn't know it costs money. You know, it's like win-win. Um, but the relief when I found Mo was just unbelievable. And you know the panic. You know that panic. It's, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. What's ironic is after the uh, nine o'clock gathering, one of my daughters lost their, their daughter here during church, couldn't find him anywhere. And I'm in my office and all of a sudden they show up. Hi, Papa. I think your parents are looking for you. And uh, this is a great illustration for what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, you know the panic. Now here's what Jesus is saying. That's what God feels over every person who is lost and haven't trusted him. That's the urgency. That's the love. That's the passion that God has over a lost sheep. He's going, Pharisees, scribes, you, you, you just completely missed it. Jonah, you completely missed it. God values every person. That's the heart of God. By the way, if you've ever felt like, uh, I'm anonymous, I'm lost in the sea of humanity, I'm just a number, I'm just one out of seven billion, I hope this begins to challenge how you see yourself because you realize the value that God places on you. You are loved and valued by God. He says, I came, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. We were in Genesis chapter three last week where it talks about the fall where Adam and Eve decide, and this, it kind of sums up sin that's, hey, I, I'm better off on my own. That, that's sin. It's saying, I, I don't recognize God, I don't recognize his authority in my life, um, um, or I do, but I'm just not gonna live like it. That, that's sin, that's just saying, I'm on my own, I'm okay, I'm okay, God. Uh, you know, you can just worry about other people. I think I know what's best for me. And in Genesis chapter three, immediately when that happened, God didn't go, losers, losers, you're gonna get now what you deserve. I warned you, I warned you. I can only set you up for success, but you know, now you blew it, so live with it. No, he, he, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve knows that something changed. The relationship with God changed. And God comes and says, where are you? He's like, you wanna live without me, but I'm coming after you. Because you're lost. And I wanna save you. Jesus, in Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, was looking over Jerusalem. And he says, when he saw the crowds, he said, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. You know, I've read a lot about sheep over the years, you know, because Jesus talks about us being sheep. And so it's like, okay, I've read a lot about sheep over the years. And, and you know, this week I was reading more and, uh, you know, I, I just kind of decided they are, um, they may be proving survival of the fittest wrong. You know, how they are still around, I have no idea. Because on their own, you know, they're not like a dog who will find his way home or a horse that will come back to the barn. I mean, on their own, they die. If they don't get shorn, you know, to where their wool is, is taken off of their bodies, then their wool will get so heavy just by the dew of the day that they will just sit down and not get up and die. They will, they will have all kinds of mites and insects and different things in that wool that will give them disease and they will die. On their own, sheep die. And Jesus is saying, we're sheep. 
I'm going, I'm a value to you and you, and I'm a sheep. It's like, yeah, on your own, you're lost. It's not going to go well. You need to be connected to your creator. And you might not even know better, but I do. And I'm coming after you. And that's the heart of God towards us. It's the heart of God towards every person we know who doesn't realize they're loved and pursued by their creator. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God that Jesus is saying. That's, that's his heart, the son of God. It's his father's heart. And on, on our own, we wander, we get into danger and ultimately die. And some are just thinking, you know, are here today and you go, I know I'm on a journey and I'm kind of new in this journey. And, and, you know, I'm kind of like, my week is like this. Monday to Friday, I'm at work and I do work and I'm focused on work and it kind of takes all that I have. But then Friday when I leave, you know, from work, I just think, freedom, I'm free. And I'm just kind of like an uncaged animal. And I just, I get my friends and we just do stupid things. And, uh, and then Sundays when I do come here, um, I am hung over something awful. And, uh, and I'm here, though, because I know there's a God who's pursuing me, and i got to figure this out. And God says, on your own, you're in trouble. And there's a lot of us in here who our story is less obvious, who are on our own. We internalize, and we live in our heads, and we go down dark rabbit holes, and we have a lot of really untrue self-talk. And in our private time, we do stupid things. On our own, we're lost. But God is not happy with that. And he's seeking and he's saving. I came to seek and save that which was lost. You know, what else is interesting is, is the Bible tells us that we are... Um, we're confused about ourselves. We don't even know ourselves. It says our heart is eternally grateful, or not grateful, uh, deceitful. And so a lot of times we're, we're trying to figure out ourselves. What do I really think? Who am I really? And so we, we just, well, this is what I want them to think of, and so I, I, I act that role, and then this is what I wanna be, and so sometimes I, I act like, that, but I don't know who I really am. And God says, I do. I know you. I'm not confused about who you are. I know the real you. And I love you. And I want you to know me. And then that, that's, that's the wonder of God. That's his heart for us. In verse 5 of Luke 15, um, Jesus says this, And when he finds that lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And when he gets home, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. What that's saying is, if one out of the hundred is rescued and, and repents and gets reconnected to God, I am so much more happy about that than the 99 who don't think they need to be rescued and actually do. See, th th this challenges a couple things. One of the things it challenges is um, your view of God. Uh, you know, you think God's stoic? You know, kind of a flat line emotionally, boring, just kind of looking at his nose about his, you know, messed up creation. No, this is saying God's happy. When, when somebody turns back to him and realizes who God is, it says God is full of joy and he wants others to join in with him. And he wants to throw a party. He's happy, full of joy, excited. He wants other people to, to join in on the fun. That's our God. And 
God cares for those sheep because they're of value to him. Now, let, um, let's say you're digging in your pockets and sorry about this illustration, but it's the best I can think of. Um, you're digging in your pockets and you pull your hand out of your pocket and you're in the bathroom and out of your hand falls two things and you see them and they're, and they're going towards the toilet bowl. And one of them's a penny and one of them's a diamond ring. Why is it in your pocket? I don't know, but just work with me. Okay. Um, and it goes and you're going, no! And it, there, boom. Splash. Penny, diamond ring, in the toilet. Now you look at them for a second and then the decision's obvious. I'm going in after one of them. Why? It's all about value. What you really value, you go after. God's saying, well, why do I go after a lost sheep? Because I love you and I value you. The point of this parable is not how lost we are. The point of the parable is how valuable each person is to God. Do you see people the way God does? When I'm connected to the heart of God, I start seeing people differently. I see him like he sees them. I see him with a, with a heart that, man, I, I want the best for you. I want you to know your God. You know how I don't see people? I don't see people the way my political party says I should see people. I don't care if you're white, person of color, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent. I don't care. You're created in the image of God and God loves you. And I want you to know it. Are you seeing people at the heart of God? This week, um, as I went through this, one of my first things I did was repent. God, it's so easy for me to slip into comfort instead of your incredible calling. So God, where are my missing opportunities to, uh, to talk to people about their spiritual journey and listen and see opportunities because I'm motivated to love them and introduce them to the God that loves them. And you have the thought today for you maybe um, you knew it. You knew, you knew you were being pursued. It's making sense. You've been trying to figure out the spiritual journey and you see the hand of God drawing you to him. And maybe the day is, to, is the day that you say, God, you found me. It's the day that God throws a party in heaven because one of his lost sheep has been found. And so as we, uh, we bow our heads, close our eyes, we realize that we're in the presence of God. Um, for some, uh, your response was my response this week, is I repent of my selfishness. I repent of my focus. God, what you love and what I've been loving are two different things. What you share, share um, tears over and what I shared, shed tears over are two different things. God, help me to be more connected to your heart, to see myself, to see the world around me the way you see it. Lord, help me to step out of my comfort because my passion and love and care for those around me. And if today is the day that you want to acknowledge to God that uh, you are turning to him and you've been living life on your own without um, you know, even much thought about there's a God who created you and loves you and wants the best for you and you should probably follow and pay attention to. 
then today I, I just ask you to let God know that. You can pray something like, uh, God, I, I know that you have been pursuing me. And today, even more, I understand you've been pursuing me because you love me. You care for me. You have value for me, even sometimes when I don't value myself. And so I ask you to forgive me. You know, take me in your arms. I want to trust you. Father, we thank you for this morning, for your love, your patience with us, your constant pursuit. Father, grow our hearts to be more like yours. This week, bring to mind um, what your heart is and how you see the people that are around us, whether it's at the office or in the class or with friends or even uh, with family. And grow us up to be more like you. Thank you for your love, Father. In your name we pray, amen. Just real quick, if, if you prayed along with me today, um, then I ask you to do one quick favor as soon as we're done. Out in the middle of the atrium, there's a desk there, and if you just go up there and say, hey, uh, I prayed along with Bill today, they have uh, some information for you that will... I think be really helpful and practical on, okay, now how do you um, begin growing in this new relationship with God? It's not overwhelming. It's just uh, um, some uh, simple ideas that uh, some of them may res really resonate with you, and I think you'll find it helpful. If you watched online and you prayed along with me, would you go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and fill out that a little um, electronic card there and and let us know that you, you prayed along with me as well. And the information that we'll give the people here is the information that we'll make sure we get into your hands um, as well. I think you're going to find it really helpful. Thanks. Let's continue to worship.